Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi, the show where we uh, kind of take a bit of a left and then a right and then another left, and then you can't miss it if you just get over the hill of spirituality. Because uh, I tend to find that uh, there's a yearning in everybody for something that's not obvious, that's not material, but is as we get through our lives, we start to ask these questions of ourselves. And uh, along the way, we always bump into interesting and fascinating people. And sometimes we don't realize the gift right in front of us. I'll give you an example. There's a woman who, using a walker and plastic bags, collects cans and alcohol bottles and beer and all that stuff out of people's blue bins and plastic bags that they leave outside. And she walks my neighborhood, uh, and her name is, uh, well, I'll call her Helen, but that's not her real name, because uh, she deserves her privacy. But she kind of walks up and down the street. Now, here in Hamilton, they had done a, a little piece on me where they showed a picture of me and my dog sitting in the living room. So she recognized it from the Hamilton Spectator. So she, she said, your name is Ralph. I said, Yeah. I asked her her name, she told me, and we started having a conversation. And I'm talking about rain, thunderstorms, blizzards. She walks up and down the streets. And sometimes the men who do the same kind of salvaging are really aggressive with her. Get the hell off the street, it's my street, and threatening her. And she just keeps going. And she says, you know, my son doesn't want me to do this anymore. But... Once in a while, I'll give her some money, but then I just think it's nice, it's good. If I happen to have some cash, it's it's a good, obviously a good thing to do. And who am I to judge when someone, how much someone needs or what they need? But my heart breaks for her every once in a while, where I just think, wow. And then other times, I think this is her purpose. She comes out here because this gives her the thing to do. And as they say. Uh, in some ways, it's awful. And in other ways, God is in the laundry. Not in the clouds, not in a fantastic destination, but in us doing things and just carving out a bit of purpose. So I think about her a lot, and I always bump into her because I'm walking my dog at night, and there she is every, every Monday night. Or every, yeah, every Sunday night, because Mondays, you know, when they take the trash on our street, uh, there she is, just poking through things. And we always have a nice conversation. So sometimes the opportunity is right in front of you to talk to somebody. You know, what's in, in, uh, in red letter Christianity, where you pay attention to the things Jesus was supposed to have said. Um, and I would suggest to anybody who's interested in that kind of thing, a guy named Tony Campolo, who's fantastic. He's a left-wing evangelical, very interesting guy. Um, but, but he talks about this idea of sacredness and that, you know, uh, Jesus says, when two people meet, I am there. And in this pandemic, that's, we've realized how social we really are, how isolated we really are sometimes in this pandemic, and how much we've taken for granted being together in groups, at festivals, walking the street, standing beside somebody at a counter and starting a conversation. And now we walk around in surgical masks and avoid each other and keep our distance and worry that maybe I got it. I don't, I feel, don't feel well today. Maybe I got it. 
So we're in this precarious place. All that said, I'd like to introduce you to somebody who I've known for a fair amount of time. Uh, we've crossed our paths in different ways in different neighborhoods. Uh, and uh, I've always admired uh, not just his talent, but his ability to formulate that talent into things to do, as opposed to, hey, how come nobody's going to book me? He doesn't wait for that conversation. He just goes ahead and creates the booking and does the thing. And I've always loved that. So his name is Bill King. Uh, he is probably best known to many people for some as a, a, a wonderful musician and keyboardist and R&B man and soul stew kind of human being. Um, but I know him as Bill, so I'd like to welcome him to the show. Hello, Bill. How are you? How are you doing there? And thanks for bringing me in, too, Ralph. No problem. Uh, I appreciate this conversation because it's a, it's a big part of my life, too. Tell me more about that. Uh, I have, uh, you know, I'm writing a book about my past history that I've, I've involved in right now called Coming Through the 60s. And, and I, I kind of look back at the early years and I, I was brought up in an evangelical church. Okay, that's that's my upbringing. And there are upsides to it and downsides to it. But the upside to it was um, having a mother and her friends that were connected in such a way that they they put the needs of community and other people ahead of themselves. And they expected you to do the same. And they never in any way promoted themselves uh, they carried themselves with humility. If somebody was in the hospital, somebody's dying, they were at the bedside. Mm. And they expected you to never um, flaunt yourself in such a way that you thought yourself of greater value than the person next to you. So that sort of runs through my family and it runs through my, my mother's side, which are the Italians and, 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 um, in the Allegheny Mountains of uh, Pennsylvania. It's community, it's family, and big, big, strong family ties. So those things you carry with you through life if you start from the beginning like that. So that sense of service, that sense of... It's, it's interesting because in, in, in the observant Jewish life, it's not a question of whether you should go visit someone in a hospital. You just, as my father used to do, you would just finish dinner after you'd been at work all day. And then he'd get on his coat and I'd say, as his youngest kid, where are you going? And he'd say, I have to go see Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so. Uh, she's in the hospital. And he would just go and sit with them for half an hour and just listen and be, and then come home. And he'd be pretty tired because he was up pretty early and worked really hard. Um, but it was never about, you know, maybe I'll go tonight. Ah, I didn't go. So I hear that. What does that do for you, for you as a person to see that kind of modeling in life? I think, you know, for us, Ralph, and for, for all of us that work in the entertainment industry, we see all sides of life. We play in the living rooms of billionaires. Then we play in the street in front of those who have no place or statue of the same thing or not privy to that kind of lifestyle. So what it does, it offers balance that tells you that there's no great dis dis 
there's no dis distance between the two. The only, the thing that binds them together is what's in their heart, and what's in their soul, and how they treat others. Um, I have, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm at an age now, I'm 74 now, and, and I do at times stop and reflect, and I think about where we are today and how we are working, walking into a new world. COVID has slowed us down and put us in a position where we have to look directly at ourselves and look at the world before us now. It has stopped it. The world, we've all had to get off the train. In doing so, you reflect on the years that are behind you and you ask yourself, did I do the things I thought I should do to bring us to this point? You know, as a musician, did I employ, did I employ people of other colors? Did I look after others? Did I pay fairly? Did I, did I do the things I should do? Did I bring people on the bandstand that should have been there and do it without discriminating or using better, using your best judgment and using your mind and heart and, and break barriers? Mm -hmm. So I think reflecting from an artist's point of view, we've always been in a place where we could do two things. We could cower from these things or we could take, take the initiative and do what we feel is right in the heart and right in the head and I'm kind of at a point now at this age where I'm really excited. Um, we've had a tremendous setback and one that has stopped the earth, like I said, stopped the earth and it's, it's painting the earth. But at the same time, we're looking at ourselves now. And I think there's spirituality and then there's religion. And I think the spirituality is, is, is coming in greater play now because that's what connects us all. So tell me how you see that, because I, I do a lot of work with those two words. What is the difference, if that's the right word, between spirituality and religion? Religion, to me, is puts the demand on you that you, once you said, I am this, I am that, I belong to this, you're a member of, of, a, of a sect, or you're a member of an organization. I'm not saying it's wrong or anything like that, but sometimes... What that does, it has. It, there's limitations because some people will will put that on you because they will not want you to, uh, you know, they have a set of beliefs, they mm -hmm. have a roles, they have things with their that are rigid. Spirituality to to me is what's inside you, what's inside the person that guides them every day. Spirituality is linked to all those in your past. You know, I. I, I, I pause in the morning before I get out of bed and I think of all the people that make a, have made a difference in my life. Mm. And I call them up. And they help me begin my day. And it's spirituality. Mm. Beautiful. You know, I, I tend to say, uh, I don't know what you think of it, but spirituality is about relationships. Yes. Right? Uh, but to yourself, to others, either present or past or future, and to the universe, to the, you know, I always think of the Hubble telescope and the pictures, and I see them and I think, how could anyone not think something, what the hell is going on out here? Oh, man. <laughs> that, uh, Ralph, you have nailed it on the head. When you look at, at it, when you look at the Hubble uh, telescope, telescope and you see what's out there, you think of eternity. You mm. see what's been there in the past, fraternity and then you see what we don't understand and what's out there that is in front of us I, and i find that just 
it stops you in your tracks. There, I was watch, watching a piece last night. And it was talking about those who have astronauts who have went out in space. Okay, they went out in space, and you you think that the astronauts in the space are looking over at another planet, or they're thinking, "Oh, look at the moon, how it is." No, they aren't. They're looking back at Earth. They're looking at Earth and thinking, "Oh my God." How incredible this this is. Look at the deserts. Look at the green. Look at the uh, clouds surrounding the planet. There's no boundaries. There's no lines. You know what I mean? There's no lines yeah. in yeah, space. Yeah. So, you know, the whole, the whole gist of this is when they come back, they have this all-encompassing look. They don't now, they're not a member of, of any one thing. They don't see states. They don't see countries. They see a planet. And I think that's... The spirituality to me is exactly that. It sees yeah. the whole, you know? So th when I think of religion, uh -huh. I, I, don't, I don't tend to think of it as um, fixed. If in my own explorations of, of religion, um, in that it, it's your decision if it's fixed or it can be a living document that you're part of. Yes. So I'll give you the example of in Judaism, a uh, uh, hundred years ago, the idea of, of young uh, women, girls at 12, having a bat mitzvah instead of a boy having a bar mitzvah was out of the question. Mm -hmm. It was never going to happen. And now, even in orthodox circles, there is accommodation for the bat mitzvah. And in all other ways of being Jewish, in a religious context, there is a bat mitzvah and it's completely normal. So things move and things are alive. And I tend to see religion as a fitness program. Like your father went to visit people because in his fitness program, that's what you did. And that's what you were obliged to do because if you were given the choice, you wouldn't do it. If you were given the choice not to congregate with people, you might just stay home because you know what? I've been working all week and busting my ass and I don't want to go anywhere. So sometimes it brings us out of ourselves. It's like the difference between somebody who thinks, oh, I want to be a musician. I think I'll just start improvising. And then somebody who is a musician going, uh, first, you're going to really bore the hell out of yourself and do some scales. And then when you have proficiency, knock yourself out. Improvise like crazy. Yes. Right? But structure matters sometimes. And, and that's why I worry about feelings of spirituality. Like you have a, a practice in the morning. You get up with gratitude. Yes. Right? First, for being alive, and secondly, for relationships of people who have been and are in your life, right? Does that make sense? It absolutely does. You know, I just, uh, my whole thing about the religion thing that since I spent my first 19 years there and I was trained to be a young minister, I was in training, I led the singing in the church and stuff. Um, I can't, I, you know, I, I, I watched how when they looked at, a Methodist, or they looked at a Presbyterian, how they pointed at them and said they live in sin. Right. So those were the things that I thought about when I talked about the rigidity of, of religion. Absolutely. The, the other side of it was, I think about all the missionaries, the ones that uh, not so much spreading religions, but the ones that went into communities to inoculate, to help uh, to build schools and help communities help grow crops and stuff like that right things that benefit that to me is the great side of religion it's, it's not so much going into uh 
a culture that's already had thousands and thousands of years of history and spirituality and what drives their community and try to change them and, you know, and, and chained into something that is your radical thinking or your thinking. It's to me, it's just how we walk around the world and, and drop something, uh, uh, a benefit on others, you know? You know, I was thinking of, you know, your life as an entertainer, your life is not just a musician, but an entertainer a guy gets up there and like, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty funky by the time the night's finished. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, and I, I wonder what's the spiritual journey you've gone through as a musician. Uh, because to me, the younger life we've all led was a ego system with us on top. And the one that we can enter into in the autumn of life is the ecosystem where we're, we're in it, but it's not all about us. Uh, true. But you have, I think it's different for everybody. You know, I, I was a kid that sat at the piano and would sit there for eight hours a day and practice. And I would think about Prokofiev and, and, and Chopin and these things. My imagination was in a different place. It wasn't outdoors with everybody else. Um, the sports side of it, it was on Mickey Mantle. It was on all the greats in basketball. It was all, you know what I mean? You, you sort of thought like that. I, I go back to thinking that, uh, as I'm writing in this book, um, being in New York City when I'm 20, 21 years old, I'm on the street. I have no money, no nothing. And I'm sleeping wherever I can. And I'm sleeping in uh, Washington Square. I have no room. I have no place to go. I'm as homeless as the next guy. And I'm laying in this park, and I have really nothing. And, and I'm looking up at the, at the sky, I see the stars, and then those around me are coming around me and telling me to protect myself. And I'm thinking about that. And then I look over and I see this apartment. And, and to me, what happened to me was I looked at it and I said, that's where Robert Redford and Jane Fonda filmed uh, Barefoot in the Park. And I thought to myself, Maybe I should knock on the door and just go in or see if they'll let me in. You know what I mean? Yeah. As a young person, the imagination, depending on where you're at in the cycle and stuff, if you're not ego-driven or thinking you're, you're going to take over the world, then you're coming from a, from a different position. My, I came from, from a totally different thing. I was very sensitive to my surroundings, and I was very aware of them. And at the same time, I was absolutely enthralled by what I was seeing. And so it's a mix. It's a mix. It, now, I'm, now in my life, I just, I just enjoy every day. I mean, I take it as a, I get up and just start doing. I'm up at seven o'clock and I'm creating music, I'm writing, I'm doing all the things I enjoy doing, you know. But I didn't come from, I wasn't the guy that waited at the, end of the, at the, at the gig to pick somebody up or go have a drink. That wasn't my thing. I, that was never my life. My life is entirely different. My, mine was always, I got to get home and listen to the playback of what we just did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more concerned what happened on the bandstand. <laughs> I can't believe that was my lead break. It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Those things will keep you up all night. Yeah. You're hard on yourself? Uh, when I was younger, yeah. Yeah. Because it's just, you know, you got a world of people who are just way better than you. 
You know, they're just <laughs> they're just freaking dynamic, and you're you're struggling to make your place and and make have your own sound. You didn't understand that you know music is really about having your own voice, as it is in broadcasting or any other thing, is to be you. You know, how do you bring you out of this? We were talking about this last night, watching the Democratic convention. When Obama and Michelle Obama speak, they speak as themselves. They are real. And Kamala Harris, she's just terrific. But you could see she's at the beginning of this cycle of learning what the Obamas are, learning what that is. So you you're terrific at what you're doing and everything. But did you connect? You know, did you, was there enough real you in this? It's a hard thing, right? Because yeah. you're also vulnerable. Everyone's watching you and the desire Absolutely. is to protect that. I remember when I started off as a performer, it was really, I was, I started doing stand up, and I, I, I was, I came from acting. So I just did characters. They were all characters. There were some good ones, some bad ones, some good laughs, some bad laughs, but I didn't, reveal me at all and then i started hosting every once in a while because you can't go back to the gig enough times when you've done your act right you got to sort of oh crap i can't go back to that gig for six months but as a host you could go back you know five times in that time so i did that instead but i had to make a decision am i going to get up here and be wayne cochran you know, am I, am I the blue-eyed king of soul running up and down with a 40-pounder of scotch, dripping it into everybody's glasses and going, you know, being trying to be the white James Brown? And am I going to be that guy? Because, you know, it sells. Uh, or do I have to be me? And if it me isn't good enough, I just have to take that chance. So authenticity and is the issue, right? I, I, you're, you're absolutely right. And you know something, uh, not to criticize her, but she is authentic. She is terrific. Uh, she's brilliant. Um, but as you see things unfold, everybody had a role to play. And I understand that. Um, but and you, you know, see it with young young artists all the time because you're always cultivating yeah. new talent and you do the Beaches Jazz Festival and you got to figure yeah. out who should be on the stage and who shouldn't. You've played with some of the greats in music, right? So, You know, and, and I always say that when you sit down with a Carol Burnett, or you sat down with a Joe Henderson, or you sat down with a Tony Bennett, or even a Diana Craw. They're unusual people. In that, they are, for the most part, very open. They're very kind. Uh, they're very direct. And you get a sense that they're at a level of comfort that you'd love to be at, you know, where they understand themselves and they understand their artistry. Mm. So I always, I always, you know, a lot of people will take shots at people who are, are immensely talented like that or accomplished so much. But once you get next to them or you have a conversation or, or as, we, as, as you've done many, many times, you're, you're absolutely fascinated how these people hold it together. You know, I, I, watch a lot of, um, I watch a lot of these, I watch a lot of cable news, but I, I have, I like to focus on, in, in on the Pulitzer Prize winning uh, pundits and the authors and all this stuff and I do see this line that goes through that they're uh, about their brilliance and the clarity of their thought and I, and I really depend on them when I, when I'm listening and I want to get a read on anything I I really listen to people who 
have put words to paper, who have thought it out, who have traveled through history, who've read myths about it uh, of, of back history on, on everybody, whether it's mm -hmm. presidents or prime ministers or, or whatever it is, and they're able to put these thoughts together and share with me and make me a little wiser, you know? But let me ask you something. So yeah. this is interesting to me because I, I, I work in both worlds. I work in the political world, the spiritual world, uh, and I move back and forth in the entertainment world. So I work in these worlds. But, you know, we don't have cable. So when I go to somebody's house where they have cable and I see the CNN and all these different stations, you know, Newsnet and all these things going 24 seven. Yeah. And I think there's, there is no spiritual element to what I'm doing here. This, this is, this is devoid of even rationale in many cases, but it's just this constant stream of information bits. So yeah. you can tell me the, that, this is this, there's a riot going on as they call them uh, in Portland and da 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 and then you go to a Smarties commercial, and then you go back into you know a car commercial and then you go back to the to the protests, and so they have equivalent value. They're all the same thing that you're watching at that point. Yes, but there is no there's a I like to think of it and and it was one of the reasons I left a, a, a big city like Toronto was I just felt like there was what I call a god hole. There was no conversation going on that wasn't just about material life. We weren't dealing with the spiritual issues. And, and you know, you and I are not 22 years old anymore. No. And, you know, this isn't a rehearsal. This is it. So how do we, how do you hold on? You personally, how do you hold on to that? How do you make sure that, how do you, in, insinuate the spiritual element of the music you play and the things you do into life and still think they're, they're listening, they're out there. It comes to the notes that I play. You know, the instrument is my way of, of um, channeling that. And it's, and it's fascinating because I work with my son nearly every day. We, 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 yeah, we work on music projects. And I actually got somebody sent me a note the other day and said, you're 74. You know, how are you making music like this? And I thought about that and, and I thought about, you know, the key to it is to having a son that's, you know, 25 years younger mm -hmm. and who's just part of everything and, and, and inclusive of me. And I'm inclusive of him and everything we do. We even have our own radio show together. But we talk about so many things and, we, and he brings so much from his side of the world. I bring what I, I, has, I have to him. And then when he brings me a track, I sit down and put myself into it. Then I'm bringing everything that's me. I'm bringing all my history to the music. And then as I play, and I think I work my way through it, then there's me now. There's me with all I've learned. There's me with all the stages I've played on and with all the people. And there's him with all his travels through Europe and all the music he's put together. And then the sum of that is our statement, whatever the track is, whatever the music that we put out there. And we both have wide ears. We listen to everything. We just, we just listen to everything in the world. And, and having a radio so that we can do that compels us to always have our ears open. So on that, that's the one side. The other side of it is, too, uh, when you talk about the spirituality of the world, I'm watching a movement. 
I'm watching a radical movement right now. I always, I tell people when you look at, let's say Donald Trump and his thing, he's a vessel of all the ills. That's a vessel that holds all the racism, all the prejudice, all the horror of humanity, the indifference, the lack of empathy. It's all in one man. We're busting that. We're busting that. Then I look and I say, okay, look at all the wonderful, intelligent, beautiful black women who are the force and who are setting the pace, the ground rules and the movement of the future. And I look at that and I go, you know, we began there. You know, at this time, the earth needs to be mothered again. It needs to be cared for. We need to be cared for. That's why when I turn on this, turn on, and I say I turn on the cable, I'm looking at the faces change. I'm looking at so many women from so many communities across America who are just absolutely brilliant. I listen to what they have to say. I know what they've been up in. I, I, I know the backstories. And I look how that place in history is, is, we're in the now. Now, where this goes is the two factions fighting each other. Mm-hmm. Putting the, putting the old the old vessel with all the illness and all the sickness and all the prejudice and lies and deceit, put it away, just send it to the putting it out of our life and then move into this other thing. So I'm kind of like the optimist, you know, that uh, I see I see good coming, and I think, like I said, the pandemic stopped everything in the tracks so everybody could think about it. It has, hasn't it? It's kind of yes. like a slap in the face of wake up or... <laughs> Man, <laughs> are you going to run, run around without a mask into a, a bar with, uh, you know, 5,000 people? Man, are you going to do that? You know, you do that, then you're, you're playing in the other side. You're on that vessel, you know? Yeah, but then you see what goes on in the American psyche in terms... Somebody a couple of days ago I was talking to said that uh, they see America now as a toddler nation. <laughs> That will change. Well, that's very hopeful. You know, I I, I, I remember I, what. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I I just think, like I said, when I looked at the convention with twenty people on the station uh, on the stage from the Democratic Party, when I first saw that, and I saw the young people on that stations from different, you know, they're either mayors of a city or an ex-mayor or. Uh, House of Representatives, or, or this, all vying for this, I was thinking to myself, there's something going on there. Then with, uh, with the uh, Black Lives Matter thing, and then you have the mayor of Washington, uh, Muriel Abrams, takes a prominent role. When you have the mayor of Keisha, uh, Lance uh, Bottoms in, right. in, Atlanta. in Atlanta, you know what I mean? Stepping up, there's a role there. So you see these new faces, and each one of them are elegant speakers. They have their communities in mind. You see all this stuff. I look at that, and I said, there's a lot of talent. There's just a lot of talent rising from this. And with that, you draw the distinction between a world that, well, let's just say this. Okay, would we ever got a check in the mail if it wasn't for COVID? Would you be able <laughs> eligible for a check in the mail? I mean, that stopped the Doug Fords. That stopped anybody on, on, the, on the right going, you know, these are nothing but freeloaders. You yeah. had to look after your people. It's all still there, though. It's yeah. all still it's underneath. It's all still there. Right. And well, everybody thinks that 
you know, in 10 months and we're going to turn the corner and then we can go back to being this selfish group of people that wants to deny everybody. You can't go back. You know, I tend to try to be forgiving in the idea of the selfishness because I think that what f fundamentally drives a lot of people into that direction is the fear of scarcity. That, yeah. like, that's what fuels the junk food, a fast food industry, for instance, mm -hmm. is that your reptilian brain says salt, sugar, and fat. I need these or I'll starve to death. So what do they do? The food chemists make, according to mouthfeel, a product that will satisfy your hunger for fat, double bacon, double cheeseburger, white bread, bacon, processed yeah. cheese, factory yeah. farmed meat, uh, and uh, special sauce, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no less. And But yet, when you bite one, I guess, I'm a vegetarian, but when you bite one, it's like, yeah. So even in the vegetarian world, they try to make a Beyond Beef burger to taste just like junk food beef. So yeah. there is that thing that we need, that that sense. I, I want to talk about something. That, okay. Do you remember when you and I bumped into each other in the beaches in Toronto? Of course. So of tell, course. Tell, tell me how you remember that. Because I remember well, it all the we're time. We're on the street. I think it was uh, one of the uh, beaches, uh, street scene nights or something. Yeah. And you were, you were pushing a, a cart with a child in it, a new That's child. Right. That's right. And I was just excited to see you. And, and I was uh, I was Ralph in it. And, and Ralph <laughs> says to me, he goes, can you keep it quiet? <laughs> My baby's sleeping. And I looked at him and thinking, man, you're on a street where like 100,000 people's going to be in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but you know something that's 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 the whole thing that you know i'm an outgoing person that you know uh, here's an example okay i didn't know five people in my neighborhood before this covid thing right, right. i'm mr roger i'm i'm mr rogers now <laughs> honest to god i'm out every night walking the dogs and i'm hello mrs jones hello over here and you know i'm stopping to talk on all the families and the kids and, and, and it's a little two block radius right right and it's Every night, we stop and talk. And now, do you, I wonder, do you remember what happened a week after you and I met? No, go ahead. It's your turn. You had a medical issue. Yes, I did. A rather impressive one. Oh, when yeah, I yeah. met you, you were yelling, and I said, quiet, you're going to give the kid a heart attack. <laughs> and a week later... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, a week later, I uh, remember, uh, was it Lucy's? Who, who, what was the burger place there in the uh, Oh, yeah. I don't, I think it was Lucy's, but I don't remember. Yeah, Lucy's, yeah. something like it. So I, I ordered like something like uh, <laughs> this beef, uh, big plate of beef or something, right? And I don't eat like that anymore. But I had this thing and, and I'm down by the, uh, down by the lake there. And my wife said, she goes, that's a heart attack meal if I ever saw one. <laughs> <laughs> and I finished that plate and I go, I'm not feeling so great. And that night, that night, somewhere in the middle of the night, I woke up and I just felt horrid and it got worse and worse. And uh, she says, we should call an ambulance. And I said, I just call a cab. So we call a taxi and I get there and I'm having a heart attack yeah. at, at Mount Sinai. So how did you feel? Uh, you know what it was? I had to, um, you know, when I, when I went into Mount Sinai and I was in an emergency, uh, they just, just had me sit there and they gave me an aspirin. And my wife says, do something. 
there's something seriously going on here. So they took me and they looked at me and they went, yes, there is, he's having a heart attack. So that's when they put me on the, the gurney and they took me underground because they take you underground from Mount Sinai over Peter Monk, where right. they do the um, at East General, uh, at, at Toronto General, where they do. Yeah, that's where they do it. And then as he was there, they did the x-rays and they said, he's got five arteries that are clogged. And one of them is a main artery to his heart, which has never been open. The LAD. Yes. And so anyway. They call it the Widowmaker. The Widowmaker. But I've always had that issue. And so it's it's running in the family, hereditary. Right. So right. anyway, they get me on there and they open that first one up. That uh, And they didn't really give me. You know, I was wide awake for it. You know, yeah, I had, they did, they did uh, stents, right? They did stents, so you're awake for that, right? Yeah. And that first one, that first uh, stent that went in, I was laying on the table, and I felt the rush of blood go through my body, and I felt that I could grip again, and I wow. could grip with strength. And I remember laying there, and the nurse is next to me while all is gone, and I looked at her, and I said, this is freaking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, they're trying to get all this stuff. I go, this is amazing. Yeah, but we're not quite finished yet. <laughs> no, we got four more to do. <laughs> it's a little touchy. We're doing five stent <laughs> catheterizations at the same time. Uh, well, I, I've walked that road myself, and it is, yeah. and, and it's hereditary as well. But when the person said out loud and emerge, this guy's having a heart attack. Yes. You something changes right like i didn't have one but something changes about who you think you are yeah right because you're not the guy before the heart attack you're now the guy who's had a heart attack well you know what it was it was that year following the heart attack yeah because then you live in fear you were afraid of your body i was everything i did i i, I was afraid to really overexert myself in any way right. uh because I made the mistake of not going to the classes. Ah. Because um, I had a second, five years ago, I had angina, and they put two more stents in, right? They filled a couple more, two more. I went to those classes afterwards. <laughs> the first okay. thing Why didn't you go to the class? Because... The first time? I have a theory that, on that it. Was, that's 15 years ago, and it was, it was like, I didn't understand it. I didn't really have... You know what I mean? I didn't really grasp what was going on. And I, and I was so wrapped in my, my head that I was worried about my life. And if I had went in, they would have did the same thing, which would be, all right, let's get you on a treadmill. Let's, let's get you lifting weights. Let's get you. Uh, let's going around get, the track. Going around the track. Let's get you just active. And I, and I, I took everything in baby steps. I was going, okay, today I'm on the couch again because I think I'm dying, right? right. So, so uh, th my theory would be, I refuse to see myself this way. I am vital. I am strong. I am the father. I am a, a band leader. I am, you know, and I don't say ego in a negative way, but yeah. it's still an egoic self-identification that I am Bill freaking King, man. And then this thing comes and says, uh, you know, at a certain point, we're all going to die. And you go, no, this is not a conversation I'm willing to have. It's like when they said, get an ambulance, and you said, get a cab. Yeah, that, that was. <laughs> yeah, but it's the same <laughs> thing, isn't it? About that. But isn't it the same thing? It's like, I can't see myself as weak. 
I, you're probably right, you know, because I'm a sports guy and always been an athlete as well as a musician. So uh, that's always been the other side, right? And I actually did the week before. Here's, here's, here's how funny this week before I did a Raptors camp. So I'm down at uh, the ACC mm-hmm. and I do a full Raptors day as a Raptor down in the, uh, have my own jersey right where Chris Bosch was. And I go out and do the full day of weightlifting. Uh, training and everything and then that night you play a game so this is you play the whole entire cart and they call the game right yeah. and i'm in i'm in the, i'm in the game and i'm going i'm running up down the floor and i then i then it hit me i knew something was wrong then and i started mm-hmm. getting pains in the back of my neck and stuff and so when they took me out of the game i sat down and there was two minutes left in the game and the coach one of the raptors coach says all right king back in i went oh my god no Right. And it goes, no, get in. And I got, got in and just sort of made it down the floor. And you I, could have had the heart attack. You could have done the face plant right there and it was I over. I could have did it big time right there. Okay, but also, so, so let, let, let's – I want to take this to another place. Okay. First, there's the screw this, I'm Bill King. And it makes you want to just blow past these things until they slap you in the face enough times. And just like we talked about the pandemic, at a certain yeah. point – you need a good slap in the face to slow it down and go, what the, where am I? But here's the other piece. And that would be, how do you now see mortality and death and a lifespan? How has it changed you to have been this person with these little metal uh, drug eluding stents in your, in your arteries? How has it changed you? I just, I just enjoy every day. I, I, I look at each day, you know, something I start planning the day when I'm sleeping. Sometimes I wake up in the night. I'm so excited about getting up and I'll look at the clock and I go, it's four in the morning. I can stay here three more hours, right? To get my sleep. So it's just, I'm excited about every day. And I, I, I've always kind of been that in a certain way, but I think on the other side of it, it, it was, let me get, I'll tell you the other side of it too. The other issue was bringing this on was, is my sister was, uh, my sister was dying from MS. Mm-hmm. And so she spent 12 years, Ralph, in a bed, 12 years. 12 years. And th- after I played the basketball, the next day I got on, a, got on the airplane and went down to spend a week with her. And it was highly stressful. And, and she told me that that week she was going to let herself die because she'd had enough um, being in the bed. So, so she said if the opportunity came that she could just pass away, she wasn't going to have any treatments for uh, kidney infections or anything. She was going to die. And I tried talking her out of it. And, and so it all happened. There was a lot going on because we, we spent a long time conversing every other day, you know, back and forth. And, and the idea of people having them, and I felt like I had nothing because she had MS. I had nothing, Ralph. Right, right. MS is powerful. You know, we spent all that time talking and talking her through this and the conversations she would have like, you know, well, tomorrow, this is going to be tomorrow. This is going to be better. You know, they have a new drug out, interferon. I'm going to try to get interferon and see if that works. I'm sure this one works. So it's always... Mm-hmm. more hope than you can imagine for some kind of, we still don't have anything that works for MS. So, but why did you try to talk her out of it? Cause I wanted her around. But what, if she, what about her? 
we let go. There was a time when then, you know, within a few weeks, she let go. You know, it's just that, you know, it's family and it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. She's close to me. You know, we yeah. were we were so tight and we talked and, and and then the whole thing about it's the whole uh, what happens around MS. You lose your family. You lose your husbands. You lose so much besides your ability to, to maneuver or get out of bed or, or, or function. You lose everything. But one thing you don't lose is your mind. Right. So the mind is active, but nothing else can function, right? And the world outside is moving around you, and you can't do that. And she, she, she fought for twelve years. Yeah, I mean, she had it for twenty, but she fought for twelve years and kept the hope up. Now, so let me, so let me ask you this yeah. then. So you grew up in an evangelical house where God was a normal part of life. Yes. So where's God in your life? in these stories and where is God in your life now? Uh, I'm more of a science guy. You know, I believe uh, everything out there exists and it's what it is. In many ways, I think life is what it is. It's, it's particles, it's atoms, it's everything and neutrons, it's everything bouncing off of each other, but there's the spirit world. And I think the spirit world exists for me. And, and I think that's what we draw from. I think that's what we walk through every day. Um, it's unseen current. Um, I think we call upon it when we need help or, or how, you know, it's, I think it's there. I think it's, there's something that exists on another plane to me. I, I don't see temples and I don't see, see buildings and uh, these things as, as, where everything is at. I think it's, I think everything's everywhere. And I find it easier to live in a world knowing that, you know, every plant, everything around me is, is, is something spectacular, you know, interconnected, interconnected, every bit of it. Yeah. I mean, it, you said you're a science guy and then you talked about the mystery, you know, the unknowables, the energy, the spirit. That, that's the other side, but science is still energy. You know, energy. Well, is, yeah, but is science an explanation of spirit? You know, is it a way of saying, okay, well, that's this is how it's made up. But if we are physically, literally made up of stardust, which we yeah. are, yeah, but there's something that when, once, something when all of it comes together that ignites it. You know? Yes, but is is it? And I'm not, you know, asking like yeah. I need you to have a, the answer I want. Uh, is it a co is it all coincidental? Is it all random? Or is I, there something going on that we can't possibly understand? That's, I think that's exactly it. There's something we don't understand. There's, there's, there's a lot we don't understand. But uh, I think for us, dealing with how we survive and how we live on earth, the thing we tap in for our health and for our sanity, and that sort of is a guidelines and helps repair things is the science that we learn, what we learn from every day. The right. spiritual side, the spiritual side is something you have to deal with yourself. You have to yeah, work but that the spiritual yourself. side when you when you hit that keyboard, yeah. Yeah. when you're when you're playing a gospel tune, yes, you know, I mean, you're in the spirit part of your life, right? Yeah, but it's also science under under my hand because yeah. science that built that keyboard. <laughs> that's right. Well, they're they're not exclusive. Like that's the no, thing. but I mean, they're partners. Yes, you know, there's a partnership there, and uh, I. I, I don't know how you feel, and, and uh, I, I, I'm excited. You know, 
I'm 74 and I'm excited. That's fantastic. I'm excited about everything. I'm excited about life. I, I'm not, I don't see it as hopeless. I think there's, there are things that are dropped on us that we have to deal with, but it also opens up other things about, it's like the whole thing everybody said, you know, I've lost my livelihood. Okay. Right. And I can't play in clubs. I can't play here. I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't be musical director for, for events or anything. But on the other hand, I go, you know, this is kind of the sacrifice you make to keep, to find out where we're going to be next. You know, what's next, Right. you know, going to a club and play is just what it is. It's just, you know, it's fun and everything. And it brings in some money or this and that. These are all these things, but there's certain sacrifices we have to make for the betterment or, or just our survival. I mean, we're fragile human being. Life, life is fragile. We're finding that out, you know, and short, it's short because behind this virus, will be another one and another one and another one. And so each, each thing, there's going to be so many things coming away. We're dealing with environment. We're dealing with uh, climate change. We're dealing with, uh, I mean, it was 130 degrees the other day in Death Valley. Holy mackerel, that was the hottest yeah. day of the century. So there's so much for us to contend with in life that, you know, I think just, just take the days and, and appreciate the days and, and embrace them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. What's the name of your radio show and when is it on? Uh, there's the one with Jesse and I. It's called uh, Soul Nation on Jazz FM. Um, Tuesday nights, 6 to midnight. Jazz uh, yeah. FM 91. 9, nine, Tuesday to, midnight. Night, nine, nine to midnight nine. on Tuesdays. Soul Nation. Soul Nation. What's the name of the book you're writing? Uh, it's called Coming Through the 60s, An American Rock and Road Story. And what's the website if people want to get your music and, and uh, well, that, that one's called sevenarts.press because I have another book right here called talk that's out now is conversations with 72 iconic Canadians in the music industry. Fantastic. Bill King. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, it's great to reconnect with you. Uh, I feel like every couple of years we'll bump into each other and something else comes up, but to hear yeah. your spirit and your energy and your positivity uh, is just fantastic. And your productivity has always been uh, something I've so respected. So thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy you invited me into your space. You take care of yourself. Okay. You too. All you right. Too. All right. Be good, man. Bill King. I'm Ralph Benmergi. That's not that kind of rabbi for this week. And uh, another episode down the road of I don't know where we're going. But thank you for listening. And uh, if you want to get in touch with me, go on Twitter. You'll find me at Ralph Benmergi. And uh, send me a message and uh, we'll, we'll talk. Take care of each other and we'll see you soon. Bye.
This podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number from unwanted calls. Visit romephone.ca to get started.